Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. My name is Todd Niger, and I have the privilege to read the Word uh, this morning. Ooh, glasses. All right. Matthew 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees what is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees what is in secret will reward you. Verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by the Father, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what in secret will reward you. This is the very word of the Lord. British uh, news outlet told a story about a man uh, named Sanju Bhagath, 36 years old, who seemed to be pregnant. He had uh, an enormous stomach, uh, had had it for most of his life that was full of discomfort and pain, uh, until one night uh, he went through excruciating pain, uh, pressing so hard um, he could barely breathe. They rushed him in uh, for surgery, diagnosed him with an enormous tumor, what seemed to be uh, enveloping his entire stomach. And as they did the surgery, uh, the doctors uh, found something quite shocking. They uh, pulled out what they thought was going to be a tumor, but found limbs, hands, hair, and other body parts. And what they had discovered is that uh, this man had had a twin brother that had not developed outside of him, alongside of him, but inside his own body for 36 years. Good morning. (laughs) Everybody awake? Look, here's why I tell you this, because we're going through the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking about what it looks like to follow him and what it looks like to be his disciple. And this is all throughout the Gospels. That if you come to Jesus as a broken person, he really will sew you up and heal you. He will take you as you are, and he will mend you back into a whole person. And then he says, follow me. Now, if that's along your story, almost our immediate perception and paradigm is that when he call, once he calls us to follow him, it looks like uh, being one of these radical people who just live uh, an external spiritual life that's obvious out to the world and even difficult to live alongside of. 
But Jesus says, no. Look, look, following me is not just taking on habits. It's not just taking on things into your life. It's not just taking on a loud lifestyle. In fact, there's lots of people who do it, and they actually have a deep tumor within them that's killing them. And here, here's what it is. It's spiritual inauthenticity. What, what Jesus is trying to draw out for us this morning through these texts is that people who follow him, it's not enough just to do things. It's not enough just to take on habits that are in and around the community of faith. There's a particular way that you do it. It's gospel authenticity. That is, what a Christian is, is somebody who takes on a lifestyle that is reflective externally and internally. And an entire lifestyle that looks like following him from the inside out. So let's examine and look at these texts this morning under three headings that just try to draw out what Jesus means by this. One, we've got to understand uh, counterfeit spirituality that he's going after. Two, let's understand authentic spirituality, which he wants for us. And then three, what will make the difference between the two of those. So first, counterfeit spirituality. Jesus says in verse 1, uh, beware of practicing your righteousness before people in order to be seen by them. Uh, in other, uh, I think it's the NIV, it says beware of practicing false righteousness. Um, that this is a uh, actually helpful distinction for us because uh, Jesus has been talking about matters just of the heart. If you've been with us, we've looked at uh, things that Jesus was talking about, like our internal attitude, things that people couldn't even perceive. But here he's talking about sort of another righteousness that people can see and perceive. And he's saying there's a false way of doing it. And he says, be careful that you are not counterfeit. Now, what does it mean to be counterfeit? To be counterfeit is someone who uses something to distract you from who they really are. And the Christian life really has an intrinsic possibility to be able to do that. Now, to draw this out, Jesus gives uh, this beautiful illustration in every single section through this text this, with this word that's common to us, hypocrite. Now, a hypocrite to us is, is just a, a common uh, a critique. It's, it's, it's a common word. But in this culture, a hypocrite was actually an acting term. It was used for actors. Uh, in the play, uh, people would um, often not wear costumes or makeup. They would wear masks. And so to play the part, uh, they would put on the, the mask uh, to play somebody who they were not typically you know, living that way. And so what a hypocrite was, was somebody who used the stage to play a different role than they themselves were in real life. And Jesus says there's a, there's a way to go into spirituality like that. He gives three examples. Verse 2, giving, how you relate to others. Verse 5, praying, how you relate to God. And verse 16, fasting, how you relate to yourself. He says what a hypocrite is, is somebody who uses the stage, uses the world as a stage in order to play a role of something that they want the world to believe in that's actually not true of themselves at all. It's counterfeit. Um, Jimmy Kimmel, a couple years ago, uh, had this bit where he was really uh, just annoyed with 
people in Southern California and the, and the juice craze that we had, that we would spend $8 on these like juice cleanse drinks. So he set up this bit at the Grove in Mid-City where he had this woman um, who was going to sell this new juice cleanse drink, but it was called, uh, it was called uh, I think pronounced juice, but it was J-U-C-E, so without the I, especially cleansing. But here's the thing. Everything that they sold, it was, uh, one was a bottle of blended Skittles. Um, one was just a bottle of powdered fun dip mixed with water. Another was just melted orange cream sickles. And they were handing this out to the people at the Grove and interviewing them and having them drink it and ask them what they thought. And people said things like, it's so refreshing. It's very cleansing. Like you just drank something that's good for you. I could go for a run right now. In the interview, she says, uh, oh, what about the kale? And she said, yes, the kale is amazing. <laughs> they asked uh, a fitness instructor, uh, what do you think about it? It's, and he said, it tastes so natural. I would drink it regularly. It doesn't taste like other fruit juices. This is fantastic, because it's not. <laughs> they charged $19 a bottle for this. They asked one person, do you think it's worth the $19? One person said, absolutely. You can't put a price on your health. Look, the thing about counterfeit, and especially counterfeit spirituality, is it's something that looks so real and appears authentic to everybody and dangerously sometimes even to yourself. And it's false. Now, what makes it truly counterfeit, Jesus says this in verse 1 and 5 and 6. He says, in order to be seen by others. That what makes spirituality counterfeit, it is ultimately using God to get something else and not after God himself. And what do we most use it for? He just says a reputation. That is, we want people to believe something about ourselves. And now, look, this can work in two ways. Because what Jesus has been saying in the Sermon on the Mount, too, is that let your light shine bright, that others may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And here he's saying, do not shine your deeds. So what gives? Well, there's a time and place where we will not let our sh deeds shine bright because we care so much about what other people think. And there's another time in our life where we care what people think so we want them to see our deeds. Uh, scholar A.B. Bruce, he said this, show when tempted to hide and hide when tempted to show. See, you're always living life in, an in front of an audience. The question is which audience determines your life? Is it the audience of your neighbor, or is it the audience of God? Now, why does this matter so much to us? Why is it so dangerous? Well, two groups. One, if you're coming to faith, or on the verge, or a new Christian, look, if you do not get in touch with this, and understand that what Jesus is calling you to do is not just take on spiritual habits, then what can happen is that you can just exchange your reputation game from the secular world to the religious world and think you've become a Christian. 
just because you've taken on some new habits on Sundays and other parts of your week, but you're still living for the audience of people and doing the same thing. Look, becoming a Christian is not like joining CrossFit. You know how you know somebody's in CrossFit? Because they'll tell you. Look, you can be so easily deceived that something enormous has happened to you when it's not because the audience is still the same for you. Now, for those of you who have called yourself a Christian and are just wanting to grow in your faith, why does this matter to us? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 2, because if you live the counterfeit spiritual life, that everything that you're doing, the max reward you're getting is in the moment. He says in verse 2, they have received the reward in full. Now, the word there for reward is a commercial transactional one. It means to give a receipt for. And what he's sort of explaining to us is that the reason the Christian life, for some of you, feels so empty and boring and without joy is because every time you invest in it, you're getting the smallest amount return possible. Look, if you're bored with this, this is just an honest other side of the table. Praise and worship and devotion really is rich. And I think it's a really beautiful part of life. But if you do it because your parents wanted you to do it, or you do it because your spouse is expecting you to do it, or you do it just because your neighbors coerced you into this, then yes, it will be boring. And it will be empty. Because you'll be doing it just to appease those very things. But the design of it is so much richer and greater than that. And it's meant to have a receipt that is to invest in something that is deeper and richer than life in, it, in the moment. Look, counterfeit spirituality, it's not just wrong, it's miserable. And Jesus wants you to be aware of that. But secondly, he wants you to see real authentic spirituality. That's not done for a reputation. That's done authentically in a life either before others or in private as the same thing. And I think we can sum it up in just one simple phrase of what Jesus is after for us, and that's humble habits. That people who follow him, who live an authentic spiritual life, they will just have humble habits. Let's, let's break that down in a reverse way. Habits. I would like you to notice Jesus' phrase when he sets it up this way. He says, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. He doesn't say if you do these things. Jesus assumes that if you're following him and you call yourself a Christian, that you will be doing these things. Look, if you, you can be fake and do actions, but you cannot be real and have no actions. In the same way, if you go to a gym, that's not necessarily reflective that you are an athlete, but if you never go to the gym, 
it's pretty telling that you're not an athlete at all. So these three things, giving, praying, and fasting, Jesus assumes they will be regular things in your life. They will be a part of the Christian life. Now, I don't have time to do a deep dive into each of these, but I do want to spend a minute or two looking at what he says to us about each of these things because he understands that they will show up in our life. Giving. He says this in verse 2. Then us, when you give to the needy. And that is two Greek words. Uh, I think the old King James, it says doing alms. And word, what he means is he's talking about an act of mercy. That Jesus assumes that if you're following him, you will be doing merciful acts to people in desperate need. That as a community of faith, we ought to always be having a ministry that looks on the downtrodden, that looks on people in this world who have nothing and no opportunity for anything if we don't enter in and help. Now, I think Jesus wants us to do this for sort of two particular reasons. On the one hand, to consider that the, the secular world works like a ladder. The more you have, the, more, the stronger you are, the better life will go for you. And it, it, in the secular, it, it is a stepping stone ladder. That's the way the world is designed. That's the way it works. That's the philosophical and metaphysical beliefs that are driving our world. And Jesus wants us to push against that and flip that upside down by saying we will not walk up this ladder. We will look at the people at the bottom of the ladder and we will come down to them and we will be with them and we will care for them and we will relieve the pain for them as much as we can. And as you do this, you know what it will do? Nothing will teach you the essence of the gospel more than just giving mercifully. Because if you you give to somebody mercifully, here's what you'll do. You will look at some people and you will wonder how they will handle the gift you're going to give with them. They haven't earned it. You're wondering if they're going to steward it well. You're going to wonder if they're going to abuse that. You know what that's like? That's like Jesus giving you the gospel. He never gives you the gospel on the condition that you will handle it well. He never understands you taking on his righteousness with the expectation that you will perfectly obey in every single moment of your life going forward. He knows you're going to be like Peter and fail in front of servant girls and struggle all of the time. Yet he gives himself fully to us. And when you give to the needy, your eyes and heart will become way more awake to that. He also assumes that we will pray. And I'm going to look at this a whole lot more next week, but let's look at this phrase that he says in verse 6. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Now, when it says in secret, this is not um, the way you and I use a secret, like it's a private thing, uh, not known to anybody else. What it's really tapping into is, is the main function of prayer that ought to be adoration and praise. That is what what Jesus wants us to most do in prayer is to get alone with the Creator Himself 
and to worship Him. Psalm 27.8 says this, You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Now, what you ought to most do in prayer is spend time praising and worshiping God's character. And now, that is different than thanksgiving. A lot of people, when we come to praise and adoration, you'll be praying with people and you'll hear them say things uh, like, God, I thank you for our salvation. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your provision. And that is praiseworthy, but that's not praise and adoration. Let me explain. If I go to my wife and I say, thank you for all of the things that you do for our family. Thank you for dinner tonight. Thank you for taking all of the kids to school and picking them up. Thank you for all of the ways that you make our life run well. That is praise. That is adoring her. But nowhere to the degree where I say there is no woman like you. You are the wife of all wives. You are the mother of all mothers. You are my best friend. You are the only person in this world who I want to build my life around. And Jesus wants us to spend most of our time doing that. Because the more you do that, the less it will be about anybody else, about what anybody else sees. But then he also expects us to fast. Now, if you've never heard of this term before, fasting in verse 16 through 18 is a voluntary abstinence of food. That is, what it is, is taking a day or so and completely withdrawing from food. You do not have to do this to uh, put yourself in physical harm or any kind of danger. The idea is to take something that is, we're regularly dependent upon and pull away from it to do two things. One, to remind us of our true dependence on the Lord himself. That when you fast and your body feels a pain, what it's meant to do is to tell you that you are this dependent on God's love and provision for your life in all moments. And what your body is telling you you need in food right now, your heart and soul should tell you at all times, this is how much you need the Lord. And this is how much you are to rely on Him. And the other thing it will do is train you how to feel like this. Paul has an illustration in 1 Corinthians 9 where he says the Christian life is like an athlete in training. And what he means there is that if an athlete can look at things that other people regularly do and says no. Like, you want to go out late tonight? I can't. I've got to run in the morning. Uh, we're going to go have donuts this morning. Do you want to do that? I can't. I'm in training. We're going to go away for the weekend, uh, spend it on vacation. Would you like to come with us? I can't. I've got practice in the morning. What it is, is the goal and intentionality of the athlete always overrides 
what other people are doing, which are not necessarily altogether wrong, but looks at them and says, I can't do those things because my focus and desire is built on this alone. And Paul says, look, a Christian is somebody who will look at the world around them, that other people are doing these things, other people have these habits, other people have these things in their life for their children, for their marriage, for their house, and says, look, I understand that you do that, but I can't have that. Why? Because I'm an athlete in training. And you know what will help you begin to do that is when you have days of your week where you have to practice discipline like that. And you say, no, I can't have that food today because I'm devoting my heart and thoughts on these things. And as you do that, you know what will happen? Your soul and mind more and more and more will become equipped and trained to begin to look at the world and say, there are things that are out there that people have, but I can't have them because I'm an athlete in training. And Jesus wants those kinds of habits to be a part of people who follow him. But you know what? They're supposed to be done with humility. Look, in fact, if they're not done with humility, they're probably inauthentic. Now, what do I mean by humility? Look what he says in verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. That is, people were, were fasting and going around and displaying their physical nature in a way that was obvious to what was happening. You know, if I, if I knock on your door and you come to the door and there's no makeup on and your hair is everywhere and you have a blanket around your neck and you have tissues in your hand, like, I, I'm going to go, are, are you sick? <laughs> if so, why did you answer the door? But he's saying this, when you anoint your, wash your face and anoint yourself with oil, he's saying, answer the door and look like nothing has happened. Go on about your day. And then when he's talking about prayer, he says this, uh, where did I put that? When he talks about this in verse 6, he says, When you go into your room, shut the door and pray to your Father. Now, when he says, shut the door, this is a, a metaphor. He's not talking literally the only way to pray is in privacy. What he means is that the, the, the main distraction for prayer can be what you think other people think about your prayer. Look, way too many of you won't pray with your family or won't pray in a small group because you're worried you don't know what to say. And what's going on there is the audience of your life is everybody else and not God himself. And it's actually a moment of pride that you're way more concerned about how you're perceived than who you're communing with. But in these metaphors, what Jesus is saying is the way we go into spiritual habits is we shouldn't care what anybody else thinks. Because when you care what other people think, that is a prideful heart. But he also says that we don't just care what other people think. We shouldn't even care what we ourselves think. Look what he says in verse 3 and 4. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The right hand was the dominant hand. And so it's a, it's a metaphor that says, as this one is doing the act, this one shouldn't even be aware that the act is happening. 
That is, our heart is so deceiving that we can even do things that other people don't know about and still self-congratulate. But what humility is, is it's not thinking what other people think is important, but nor is it thinking what we ourselves think is important. It's just doing the thing. Uh, um, I've got several golf instruction videos that I've used over the years, and it's very frustrating because all of the videos have tons of technical points that are all right, that are all helpful, but they're so detailed. Unless you have hours and hours to sort of implement these details, what happens is you get on the course and you're like thinking about all of these instructional videos like as it's happening. And then you're worried that your friends are watching and you know, are they impressed? And you're in your head and you're caught between, you know, not wanting to look like a fool in front of your friends, or you know, caught in going over these videos in your head, and it just ends up being a disaster. But what you notice about all professional golfers is that they're actually not bothered by the crowd at all, because they play in front of thousands of people all the time. But also, these little details all the time, they're not going over them over, over and over and over again in their head, they're just almost second nature to them. And they just get up and do it. And they're not concerned about you, and they're not even concerned about themselves. C.S. Lewis, when he talked about humility in his chapter on mere Christianity, he said, you know, a humble person is not somebody who you go up to and talk about, like, you know, you're so great, you're so gifted at this, and they're like, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm just, you know, and they're self-deprecating, and they're self-deflecting. He says, that's not a humble person. That's a person who's so prideful they don't know how to take a compliment. He says, what a humble person is, is somebody who will be casual, who will be so interested in you that they're talking about you, that they're asking you questions, that you'll just notice that this was a friendly person who listened to me and cared. And he had this proverb that's, that's amazingly been thrown around a whole lot the last couple years. He says, Humility is not thinking more of yourself. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. As in, when, when you do these things, what other people think or whether or not you're keeping up on this, that's not even on your radar at all. You're just giving to somebody because they're hurting. You're just praying because it's you and your father. You're just fasting because you know this is training you for life. Who cares what anybody else thinks? And who cares how well you're doing at it? You're doing it. And that's what Jesus calls authentic spirituality. Now that's counterfeit, spiritual, counterfeit spirituality, authentic spirituality. Now quickly, what will make the difference between those two? Well, he, throughout the text, he says this seven times in every single section. He talks about this idea of a reward. He says, do not practice in front of everybody else because they've received the reward in full. But then elsewhere he says, if you do it this way, you will receive your reward from your Father who does see you. Now when Jesus talks about this idea of reward, it feels immediately confusing to us, or at least to me, because it feels like Jesus is setting up a meritocracy and contradicting everything else that he's said about what it means to know him. And the rest of the New Testament talks about coming to faith in him. Because everything that we know about the Christian life 
is that getting God's love is not anything we ever earn. It's not as though we do these habits, we keep this life up, and then he rewards us with faith and love and favor. It is not that way at all. The gospel is God comes after us as we are, poor and needy, without uh, desire for him at all, while we're, we're his enemies, and loves us. So how in the world can he talk about a reward? Well, he, here's what it is about us. You and I only understand rewards in the way that they are disconnected from the very thing that we're doing. You know, like when we give trophies to the best GPA, or we tell our kids things like, you can go over to your friend's house if you clean up your room and do all of your chores. And in that mentality, what it seems like Jesus is saying is setting up a mercenary life. Like, if you pray, if you give, if you fast, then God will reward you with all of these things. But that's not what he's talking about at all, because there's actually another type of reward where the activity is itself the reward and consummates itself in a final finished product for the reward. Like, the reward for going to the gym is a healthier body. The reward for reading is to learn something and gain knowledge from the very thing that you got. Nobody put it better than C.S. Lewis in his essay in The Weight of Glory when he said this, we must not be troubled by those who believe that the promise of rewards make the Christian life a mercenary affair. There are different kinds of reward. There is the reward which has no natural connection with the things you do to earn it and is quite foreign to the desires that ought to accompany those things. Money is not the natural reward of love. That is why we call a man a mercenary if he marries a woman for the sake of her money. But marriage is the proper reward for a real lover, and he is not a mercenary for desiring it. The proper rewards are not simply tacked onto the activity for which they are given, but they are the activity itself in consummation. And you know what the consummation is of all of these habits and this type of spirituality? He says the Father will reward you. See, if you want an authentic spiritual life, you've got to know what it will give you is more of your Father. See, the reason that you and I don't engage in these kinds of things more often, or we do it in a, a counterfeit way, is we think of God like a professor. See, a professor says, here's the to-do list. Show me your work. In fact, I don't care if you do it at home. Unless you turn it in, unless anybody see, unless I see it, and unless it's graded, it is invalid. But a father is totally different. A father wants you to do things, and even if you do them poorly, it's beautiful to a child. It's beautiful for a child. Even if you don't do it to the degree, even if you, the father doesn't see you do it, but learns that it's in your life, it's a beautiful thing. See, all, if you understand that anything Christ wants you to do in your life just gives you more of the father then what that does is it means I'm not doing this to earn his love. 
nor am I doing it to earn any of your favor. I'm doing it to know the favor that I already have in him. One of my best friends told me a story one time when he was um, driving uh, his, his son in the car. He said, uh, just a parent moment, he said, Taylor, um, do you know the one thing that you can always know about me? And, uh, and Taylor, got it, he got it right away. He said that you'll always love me. He said, yes, that's right. So the kid turned back to my friend and he said, Dad, you know the one thing that you can know about me? And his dad said, that you'll always love me? And he goes, no. <laughs> so they started to kind of guess the game, you know, well, that you like ice cream? He's like, no. That you love baseball? No. And he said, I give up. And he goes, Dad, the one thing that you can know about me is that I'll always know that you love me. And he said, that's what a Christian is. And you know, if you, if you take habits like this in your heart, what it will do is make that true for you and make that more alive for you in a beautiful, personal way. And that will be the authentic Christian life. Let me pray for us. Jesus, We want to know you and know you as a father. Lord, that we would uh, be set free by the gospel to be authentically known by you. Lord, and incorporate things in our life that make your love more personal, real, and prevalent everywhere around us. Lord, anybody here who doesn't know you, who is flirting or investigating with the Christian life. Lord, I pray that they would not see habits and things that we take in our life as the way to know you, but things that make your love and your knowledge more beautiful to us. Lord, help us as a church to embody that for them. Help them to see you and then learn to take on what you have in life. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, Lord, renew our lives and habits for you in Christ's name. Amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.